morning, everyone. Did you have something you want to say? We'll find our seats. Um, I have a couple of things I'd like to share. Um, you know, I've asked you to pray for, um, we'll still call him a missionary. He's just not on the foreign field, Todd Dallanegra. Um, he's, uh, I've gotten to know him as we've been doing the missional work in, uh, missional work in the, uh, Old Pearl neighborhood. And, uh, he still coordinates foreign missions and he's been a missionary to France, Switzerland, parts of Africa as well. And I asked you to pray for him a couple of weeks ago in relationship him being in the hospital, his uh, hemoglobin being deathly low, like not even a third of the minimum that, that you're looking for. Um, and so uh, you guys have prayed. He was able to come home. And one of the, the big challenges, you know, they I think I mentioned this to you last week, they did a, a draw um, of his bone marrow to try to figure out why it wasn't working, and there was no bone marrow to draw out for the biopsy. And so uh, in the uh, last couple of weeks, a couple of things have happened. And uh, with that, um, he is still home. I asked him to go ahead and do that now. But uh, I knew that, that I'd have a few minutes to share with him. But I just want to tell you guys that uh, um, he's doing well. The, the blessing is his hemoglobin is holding at 8.3, which is kind of the minimum. Um, 13 to 18 is considered normal. 13, nice and solid. When he was in the hospital, it was down to 3.8 when he arrived. Um, and he's been uh, sent to Hopkins. and He's got more tests, but it looks like a, a particular type of lymphoma. They don't know what yet. He may have to get a bone marrow transplant. But on Thursday, which is our day to go into the um, doing old parole, um, he did join us, and he walked around with us. And I'll tell you, three, let's see, four weeks ago, he and I were the only two out there that day, and we were walking up one of the hills. I mean, and it's a good-sized hill, but it's not ginormous. You know, we had to sit down at the top of the hill because he was just wiped out. He just thought he was having, you know, like an allergic reaction to mold or something. But praise the Lord, before he died, um, he had a routine blood test done and they were alarmed and said go to the hospital right now and uh, God is sustaining him and uh, he sent me this morning that his hemoglobin is staying steady so um, that's uh, really good in keeping with uh, just kind of keeping you updated a little bit with the old parole neighborhood we've got a fish fry coming up I've asked some guys ready to come out and help with us we've got a few more to, to ask as well but um, it's going to be just a community get-to-know folks thing. But I want to update you on a couple of things that are happening there because sometimes I think we sell short when we take our petitions to God. Um, a lot of what we do there is walk and pray, and then we talk to folks that that um, we can, you know, that we're meeting as, as we go along. And uh, some of you guys know Clayton. He's been out of town the last few weeks, but he and his two children sit up front, someone that I've known from my past, who's helped us in the Spanish side of the neighborhood. Um, 
is able to translate for us. Um, but, but God is doing a lot of things there. Um, it's been Oparol, one of the reasons we targeted that area. Um, someone who's very familiar with the different neighborhoods says, you know, um, the, the, the one established church is aging, so they're not able to reach out as much anymore. And for whatever reason, at least from a number of folks' perspectives, that neighborhood has been uh, um, just maybe neglected uh, or certainly not missionally outreached to for quite some, more than a decade. And so we, we decided this roving pastors pair group, some of us would get together and go over there and pray and walk through the neighborhoods. And, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it's really important to, to, to say this again because God is still at work in this way. So right before, um, I guess it must have been right after Easter, we were on one of our prayer walks in the afternoon, and the, the big, powerful drug dealer of that area, and it's a working-class neighborhood. It's not seedy or anything like that. But, you know, he's been years and years the local drug lord, and uh, he went past us about four times just watching what we were doing, watching what we were doing. And... Uh, the, uh, um, my, the guy who I call my neighborhood guy, AJ, he's been to church here. Um, I, I, he's, he said, told us his name. And I said, well, man, let's stop and pray for him right now. And we prayed, Lord, convert him or remove him from power. Convert him or remove him from power. And um, we, had, we had different things going on. Well, in the 10 days following that, uh, God did some stuff in his family, and Tico was no longer um, dealing drugs, no longer pulling the strings, and that has continued. Um, that was a hard thing in the middle of that. Now, he's, he's older than me, I'd say, about a little bit, and uh, but his daughter, who was not quite 40, died. Um, the Lord opened some doors myself and the guys that walk the neighborhood, worked with the local minister, we participated in caring for the family during that time. I can tell you that Tico's granddaughter and several of her friends have become Christians through this, um, and uh, that the neighborhood is oddly settling down, like it used to be the clumps of people hanging out on the corners or doing things, all that's dissipating. Um, and, and I'm not one to be like, oh, look what we did. This is all God's work. Because in some ways, I feel like we go out there, we pray, we talk with a few people, and we say, man, are we what, are we making any kind of difference? Now, we're not, but God's at work. And I got a report this last Wednesday. Um, we had our prayer meeting out. So there's two things here. We've got the pastors in the area that go to neighborhood to neighborhood every week praying. And uh, Horace was out there this last one, and A.J. was sharing with us. Uh, one of the local ministers um, said that uh, two weeks ago he baptized six people out of the neighborhood and that uh, this next week coming up he's got ten that he'll be baptizing. And and uh, Bishop Carroll over there, he, he, he attributes it to the fact that people are praying that we've been out there um, just seeking God and asking God in, in this way. And we've had an opportunity to, to meet an awful lot of people. This last week, uh, Gavin Franzone, our newest 
member. Um, he came out and did the neighborhood. So I'll, I'll certainly open that up if you have interest. On Thursdays at 4.30, we go out there and uh, walk the neighborhood, pray, and talk to whoever God brings along our path. And, and you, you'd be surprised. The notes I have of who lives in what houses, it just continues to grow and grow. And so, you know, what God is doing there, we're getting reports. Like, I had no idea about people being converted because we're not seeing it. You know, sometimes we think, I've got to be the one, right? I've got to be the one leading. And certainly we want to see people uh, come to the church and, and be more I think we'll see some of that. But as Paul talks about, don't concern yourself. Some do what? Some water, some plant seed, some will harvest. Um, we want to see the kingdom of heaven extended. So please be praying. Uh, we've also had some uh, opportunities to minister into Harbor House, um, Eastport Terrace neighborhoods. And I'll tell you, that's some of the more, most challenged neighborhoods in our our city. Um, and um, you guys are aware that there was a, a young woman who was shot and killed there in the early part of June. Um, and myself and several other pastors have been able to help minister there. We've also beginning to learn and know some of the leaders in the community, and I don't mean the negative ones, because we can pick those out and pray for them, but also those that are really trying to uh, help the community. And so be praying that uh, we have opportunities for more and more of us to get involved in this. Um, and you might say, I, you know, I've been talking about this for a few months. Uh, I'm a little cautious on things at first, right? I want to make sure, number one, it's safe for my people. Right? Number two, that we've got something going because you know my experience in starting missional works like this is it's so messy in the beginning you, you don't have a, a plan figured out you know my general philosophy is Jonathan and his armor bearer you guys familiar with that story right you got the Philistines up on the hillside 20 of them armed Philistines these are professional warriors up there and Jonathan and his armor bearer which isn't just a servant that carries his armor. That's really his right-hand man. So he's trained. But but they're outnumbered 10 to 1. And the Philistines have the high ground. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let us go up there. If you're with me, let us go up there. And perhaps God will deliver them, these Philistines, under our hand, of course, the story, they go up there in faith, believing God, and in, in unbelievable odds, overcome and destroy that stronghold. By the way, why do you think the Philistines were up on that top? They were holding the high ground. They were attempting to control that area. You can imagine if, if you have good archers or anything else and you're up on a high ground, you can hold an area and keep the enemy from coming up. And it took two trusting and believing God. But but you go out there and you say, perhaps God, Lord, deliver people, use us as you see fit. And there's a lot of a lot of positive things. One last thing I'll say on this, and this is really important. This has been both with the Roving Pastors Prayer Group, but also um, in the Old Pearl neighborhood. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I didn't think about this, but obviously it had a huge impact on many of the families 
reestablished families in the community. They could not believe that there were pastors and, and, and people from different churches in the community working together for the gospel. Like I said, I hadn't really thought about that. I know it's important for us to work together, but I didn't realize what kind of impact it was going to have on the people in the community because they've never seen that. I had one guy tell me this, but I had heard it from several others, like different people around telling different people. They're just astonished in this. And this is what the unity of the church should look like, right? Um, do, and, and I'll make one last, one last thing. Have you ever recognized another church may hold things or another person in the faith may need to understand the scriptures a little better? Right? Like they still they love Christ, but there's things they've got to figure out. Well, I can tell you this, if I stay in my castle and he stays in his castle, no, nobody's going to make progress at all. Right? terms, but, but that's what we tend to do in the church. We tend to treat my church, my sign and placard out there, that's my fortress, right? And I'm going to guard everything. And we're not in unity. And what we really need to see, if we want to see revival, we got to think, uh, recognize that, that uh, we've got to see the people of God come together. Again, I do recognize there's some things I feel like I'd like to see um, some churches address, but I remember I haven't always had held the theology I held. I have now. Okay, what about you? Have you grown? Are you the same you were 25 years ago? And here's the thing: I grew up in the church. Um, I went to Bible college. I did a lot of ministry work. Excuse me. And I'd say 85% of the things that I think differently on today, I didn't even know were an option for the first 24 years of my life. And then it took me another six to really start making a turn. And then it took me, you guys know about this because I was here for five months and then moved away for 17. It took me 17 years to really get that theology down. So, as God is kind and gracious and has been slow with you, you know, don't try to grab your brothers and sisters by the throat and shake them in it. Build relationships. Let God's word be the part that transforms people. So, I know that's a long introduction, but I, I, think, I think it's important, and I've been trying to do this, drop in and talk about these these different, uh, these different things that we're doing out there. In part, I want to keep you updated. In part, I want you to pray for us. And every Wednesday morning, pastors in this community, and, it, you know, every Wednesday it'll range from 6 to 12, um, and it rotates. You know, there's probably a core of four of us, and then, you know, people as they can, can come out. And I'd say in, in the real tightly Annapolis area, We've got about 20 to 25 people that we kind of rotate in. Um, and then we've started groups now in North County and in West County, um, trying to help do that geographically. But if you are ever interested in wanting to come out, um, let me know. I'll let you know what neighborhood that we're in. And, uh, and we can come.
about and pray with us. It isn't just for ministers, um, but we, we really want to be praying for the communities. And if you can't be there, be praying. Be praying for the unity of the churches. Be praying for the lost. And, uh, of course, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is glorified in all of these things. So, um, Any questions about that before we go into our actual technical lesson? I knew I could burn a little time because we did half of it last week. No question. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Sure. He still had to go down in the valley and go up, right? No, thank you. Any other questions or comments? And I do really want to ask you to pray, right? Because, um, and you might say to yourself, and this kind of comes up in our psalm today, but, um, you know, you, sometimes we feel like I don't have the righteousness that the psalm is talking about go before God, and you're absolutely right, me neither, right, but when we take our petitions to God, right, the Father sees Christ's righteousness over us, and of course I'm always going to caveat that, live your penitent life, right, be confessing your sins, be looking to conform yourself to the word, all right, so we are going to try to finish up Psalm 17 today. To do a little bit better than that. We will finish Psalm 17 today. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 17, I'll uh, pray and then uh, does someone would someone like to read all of Psalm 17 for us for context? Anyone? Ashlyn, okay. But let's pray and then you can read. Our God and our Father, we thank you, O Lord, for this day. I pray your spirit be upon us. Grant us wisdom as we consider your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
So for, for context, I'll give you that introduction I gave you last week. There are four sections that this song can be uh, divided up into. Uh, verses 1 through 5, we have a sufferer is in imminent danger, and he professes his sincere conformity to God's will and invokes God's favor and protection. So um, what, what we have is in that very beginning, this is really, really important. Um, I mentioned it last week. We need to make sure that when we face difficulties, that we submit ourselves um, to God's will. Like, in other words, we're going to conform ourselves. When it's beyond our ability to change things, we need to be praying and saying, Lord, help me to receive what you've brought into my path. Um, you know, you guys are probably going to throw a paper wad at me or something because I bring this up from time to time when we talk about these kinds of things. Um, the uh, autobiography um, of Solomon Northrop. 12 Years a Slave. Movie is a total travesty. The book is one of the most excellent things I've ever read on contentment and difficulty. Um, so I highly recommend that. Um, I have extra copies in my office to loan out if you're, if you're interested uh, in that. Uh, but it's, a, it's an excellent thing to consider to say, okay, God, I'm in this circumstance. Lord, let me submit to your sovereignty. Right? Um, and, of course, at the same time, Lord, deliver me, right? Petitioning God for relief, but also recognizing the sovereignty of God. Um, the, uh, the second section is verses 6 and 7, and this is a petition that invites God's favor because of God's former mercies. Okay, again, I'm just trying to catch us up. We, we kind of ended up. Um, right there at verse 8 uh, last week, but I want to um, get this get this in our minds. So a after he says, I I'm going to submit myself uh, to, to your will, and I, and I need your, your protection, I need your, your favor, I'm going to petition you, Lord. And, I, and the reason I know I can ask you this is because I know you've been merciful before, right? Um, you guys know, or most of you should know, you know, Friday was my birthday, and uh, four weeks ago was my 32nd wedding anniversary, and as we got to that wedding anniversary, more than my birthday, I've been reflecting a lot about my life, particularly my married life, and God's mercies throughout these 32 years, um, and all of the things that God has done. Um, I really need to spend some time writing down God's fabulous mercies and gifts and cares that he's done as, as uh, a gift, really, I'd say. It reminds me that I might praise God, but also a gift to my children, um, helping them remember God's faithfulness. Um, but, but God has done, we can go all the way back, of course, to before time, right, he chose me as elect, not because I was good, I was evil. Um, and in his kindness, he, he granted me his mercy. I can go to the cross, right? Again, while I was yet sinners, Christ died for me, right? I can, I can um, think of, you know, I actually have a name-by-name -name genealogy at my house 
that runs from Pepin the Short, um, and I can work past that, but from Pepin the Short all the way to my grandchildren. Anyone know who Pepin the Short was? Who's Pepin the Short? Charlemagne's father, right? What's that? No. Um, Pepin the Short loved Jesus Christ, and he taught his son to do so. And if you ever have an opportunity to study Charlemagne, what a godly Christian king. What a godly Christian king. He took monies out of his own treasury in order to fund monks, setting up schools throughout his kingdom so that people could learn the scriptures, could learn to read and write. And this is in the late 600s, early 700s, right? His Christian desire that his people know God's word was so great, he spent money out of his own treasuries to do that. Um, my, my point is that I, I can give praise to God for a, a godly lineage, although sometimes it's been intermittent, at least as far as I can tell. But I see a lot of good things about what God has done in various varying churches. I can look at, at how God took my parents, my father's side of the family. I can't find any Christian life there. My mother's side of the family, where this lineage comes from, um, it was beginning to really wane. Her parents were, were more the uh, um, social club Anglicans or Episcopal in those days. Although I will say that the Lord was merciful and I know my grandmother came to know Christ in her last several years. Um, and that, that was a great mercy and blessing. And then all of the things that God has done mercifully and I think it's important that we ourselves consider these things as well so that when we go to God, we're not like, God, please. But we, we, we do it with a firmness that we know God is merciful because we can look back and say God has been faithful. The next section in verses 8 through 12, and that's a description of the wickedness of his enemies. And that contrasts the last two verses, verse or three verses, 13 through 15, which is, of his character uh, and his spirit, that is the psalmist, versus the wicked. And so um, I just, I want us to uh, pick up at verse 8, which is uh, where we left off last time. And we see an idiom, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, this, this idiom here we know uh, is, is somewhat familiar to us. You know, the apple of my eye, and I closed last week by making mention, it's like a father looking at his daughter, and I picked my daughter, Naomi. Those of you visiting, I have six daughters, uh, two sons. But uh, I just picked one of my random daughters because it's interesting. There's a different kind of relationship if you have boys and girls your boys than there are with your daughters. Just the relation is different. You know, one of my, I mean, God has blessed my, my children are serving God, but, you know, I've got one of my sons I'm really close to, and my daughters, my relationships are just different. Part of it with my sons, it's been, even both of them together, it's been laboring together in battle, right? And where I want my daughters to be competent, right, in the Word and in prayer and, and these kinds of Christian living, um, 
how I dote on my daughters is different. And so God, the apple of the eye, when we talk about that, it's, it's God doting on his daughters. And in one way, we the church are the bride of Christ, and he dotes on us. He gives us mercies and blessings and kindness that we don't deserve, and, and he has a joy in doing so. So I think that's just important for us to, to think about that. When we go to God, yes, we can reference back to all the mercies that he's done, but we can also say um, with, with great joy um, that he just dotes on us. It's, it's just, and, and anybody here, raise your hand if, if you're a father or daughter. Okay. Right. And it looks different, right? how you think about and approach your daughters and your sons. Now, I'm not disregarding you can't dote on your sons, particularly mothers, but but it, it, the feel is different as a dad uh, when you do this. And hide me under the shadow of your wings and from that wicked that oppress me. And, and it isn't just, you know, the wicked kind of oppressing me. It's actual oppression. I think I mentioned last week to you, about our CREC pastor from Belarus who had to flee Belarus because of the Belarusian KGB actually threatened his life and family. And uh, this week's meeting of the, the Jeep board at uh, the church, even though there's been another elder to step in, uh, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Belarus. Things are really tough. And if the pressure continues... I don't know how much longer our church will remain in Belarus, uh, but I'll be praying for that. Uh, but there are actually times where our lives are threatened. You know, we're really been blessed here in the United States. Um, you know, COVID and other kinds of pressures notwithstanding, we really have not been pressed too hard um, as we've seen others all the way up to losing their lives. Verse 10. They've closed up, now this is the wicked, their fat hearts with their mouths they speak proudly. Um, and so here we have another idiom. They have closed up their fat hearts. Okay? Um, think about the people of Israel. Right? What's the admonition and warning that God gives Israel at the close of, of Deuteronomy when, when uh, Moses is given this great sermon? He warns them that after they get all the blessing, that what's going to happen? They're going to grow what? Right. They're going to think that all they have accomplished has been because of what they've done. That they've accomplished all these things. And this is the, the wicked. It is, it is just like Pharaoh. Um, and he, it says that the first four times during the plagues, that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then we see God bring judgment and hardens his heart. Right? But we, we it's the same idea here of the, in their own heart, in their own strength, detached from God, they've accomplished all of these things, and because of that, they reject God all together. So much so, you know, we can look at how many people have we seen quoted last few years who uh, they speak proudly against God as if he's not there. Um, in verse 11, they've now surrounded us in our steps 
and they've set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in his secret places uh, when, when uh, we first moved down to Louisiana um, we, we rented this house out in the country now I like to camp and hike and do all these things and I'm an outdoors guy uh, but perhaps I was a little naive not recognizing where I was moving to come home from work one night um, and uh, I got off work about 1.30 so I'm pulling up to the house about 2.15 uh, or so and I see this thing in the tree right next to the, the carport and it's got this kind of Y in the tree and I'm like what in the world is that I don't recognize that so you know what do I do I get the flashlight out today I'd have got my flashlight in this in this hand and my pistol in this hand <laughs> But I turned that light on, I'm walking up, and as I walked up, what is that, what is that? And then it jumped out of the tree, right over here, and it was a pretty good sized bobcat, okay? Um, And I gotta tell you, I'm not enthusiastic about confronting a bobcat. This one's probably about 40 pounds, okay? Which is pretty good size for a bobcat. I've seen them a few times in the wild, bigger than that. Gee, that's, uh, um, that's a little cat. We're talking about lions here. Um, and and, and you know, what do they do? The enemies of God, they surround us, and they set their eyes. Right? Because those that really hate God, they hate Christians. They hate everything that Christians stand for. Love forgiveness they, they hate it and so what do they want to do they want to find every way they can to tear down the people of God and they want to find ways to tear us as prey and what do they do um, you know being a Christian sometimes means I think that we're a little naive right I try to have this uh, to borrow a phrase that I heard in business some years ago, assume innocence. I try to assume innocence with folks, right? In other words, even if they're coming at me, what do I not know? What what baggage have they carried with them? Um, What information am I lacking? I'm not going to assume that they're going to try to bring destruction. But those that are um, hate God, they do lurk in secret places. Now, are we to walk in fear of that? No, but we should have a sense of awareness. Right? A sense of awareness of this. Now we see here in 13 we have, uh, Arise O Yahweh, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. So, um, Arise, O Yahweh. We are imploring God. We're going to God and we're saying, please get up and and deliver us. Confront him and cast him down. And yes, ma'am. Read your version again, please. 
thing you said, I guess I'd have to probably look at the at the Hebrew there. But but I think the larger the either way, um, the the idea here is is that you know it's God who's going to confront, and it's His sword. Jonathan, I can see you're looking something up there. The uh, the, the 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 point here is is that it's God's action. This even comes, I think, to prayer. Like when we when we think of God's sword, what do we think? Anybody? Okay, the flaming sword, the Word of God. Um, I, I would I would say um, that when we're asking God to arise. And, and who, who's being asked here? Arise, and I know many of your translations say the Lord, right? But that word there is Yahweh, right? That's the covenant name of God. And so he's actually uh, invoking God's covenant name. So for your covenant, your promises to your people, I'm asking you, to do these things, okay? Um, not because I'm worthy, even though he's made a case for some of his righteousness, some of the things that he's doing, like he's not guilty of inciting these wicked men against him, right? But he's saying, listen, it's about your covenant promises to me, to your people, and that's what I'm asking you to do in that way. And so um, what I guess what I'm saying is that we need to think about this in terms of how we pray that we need to pray God's word, which is why we need to know the Psalms. Um, and so uh, read the Psalms, read the prayers and the scriptures, pray God's word to these things. You know, a lot of times our faith is lacking because um, we don't really believe God's word. Right? If we believe God's word, we'd pray these things. And what do we know? Is, is God, is God, does he keep his promises? Right? Uh, is he, is his discipline always just? Is it? It is. Unlike ours, his always is. It's infallible, in fact. And when he brings discipline, what does the scriptures tell us that his motivation? Is it, is it uh, unrestrained? Vengeant wrath? No. What's that? I can't hear you. Restoration. That's right. He's disciplining for restoration's sake. It's measured. Right? And so I, I want us to, to think uh, and, and recognize this, to, to kind of wrap this up. It says, With your hand from men, O Yahweh, again, covenant name of God, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave the rest of their possession for their babes. Right? So all of these people that have thought that they built their world, right? They, they, they're, they're having this stuff and it, the, the very most they can ever help hope for, those that hate God, are to, to pass something on to their children. Whereas 
As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. Now, we've had a lot of conversation about the face of God over the last uh, year or so, right? We've talked about the blessings and the face of God. And what does that tell us? That is true reconciliation to God the Father through the work of the Son by the power of the Spirit, right? That we get to see the face of God. That, that, is, that is the point of all of life, to be reconciled to God so that we may see his face. And it finishes up with, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I think we can look at a lot of things, but if you remember earlier on last week, we talked about how there's, uh, you know, you visited me in the night and you can kind of see this as a, as a evening prayer, right? Because when we go to sleep, that's when our thoughts are unrestrained, right? That's a place where we really need to be trusting God, even in difficult circumstances. And then you come to the end and I shall be satisfied when I will awake in your likeness. So because we go to bed trusting God and content in the challenges he's given us, we can awake. And because we're trusting in him and conforming and he's conforming us to his word, we will awake more and more in his likeness.